Everybody, welcome back to church. You're glad to be here. If all ours, let's praise God together. We are glad you're here as well. Okay, part two of the sermon series, Tools of a Carpenter. Before we get started, I want to ask this question. I need a volunteer, actually two volunteers for this sermon, uh, but I got to begin by saying I'm not going to pick you out. I'm not going to point you out. I just, I just wanted somebody to volunteer, but for the first one, you have to be taller than six feet, which I would know nothing about. How many of you in this room are taller than six feet? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Taller than six feet. Raise your hand real high. Man, those are some big hands too. That's a... Raise your hand real high. How many of you are taller than six feet and don't mind me picking on you a little bit? Raise your hand, all right? Okay, like four people. Okay, very good. This is a short church. <laughs> Vertically challenged, we'll say. Let's be, uh, let's be nice to the shorties, all right? <laughs> Uh, six feet tall, don't mind me picking on you, raise your hand real high, let me see, okay, all right, okay, okay. Uh, how many of you bigger than six foot three? three, six, three and above, raise your hand. All right, keep, oh, wow, all right. Uh, six, five and above, raise, keep your hands up. Six, five and above, oh, wow, we, okay, well, yeah, forget what I said about shorties, I mean, small, small people here. We've, n- we've got no Michael Jordans in the room, huh? Okay, so six, four, raise your hand, six, four, six, four, six, four, okay. All right, do you mind me picking on you a little later? All right, give him a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. This is my friend. We were just hanging out on, uh, yeah, just the other night. That was fun. All right, very good. Now, there, we have our tall guy. We need the other side of the spectrum. Volunteer, somebody that is not as tall as six foot five. Somebody shouted out Sorrel. My mind goes there. <laughs> Buddy, I'm telling you, man. Sorrel, how tall, how tall are you? 5'4". Five, four. Five, four. And he's a powerful 5'4". Give him a round of applause, 5'4". Come on. A lot of power in that 5'4". Anybody smaller th- than 5'4", that's an adult that would not mind me picking on them later today? Raise your hand. Uh, okay. No, please raise your hand. I'm kidding. I, my, my friend Doc. Doc, how, how tall are you? Five foot even. Wow, give this man a round of applause. I love that. Wow. Okay, so we're going to pick on you guys a little bit later in the sermon today. Luke chapter number 18. Go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter number 18 and verse number 9. If you're new here, my name is Josh. I'm the teaching pastor, senior pastor here at the church, and we're going to be studying from Luke chapter 18, which is what we've been doing. It's a four-week sermon series in the book of Luke chapter number 18 called Tools of a Carpenter where Jesus interacts with disciples, with followers, with Pharisees, with the community around him, and he's teaching them truth. And in Luke chapter 18, we've noticed that these four stories that deal with Jesus actually can be symbolized by four different carpentry tools that Jesus would have used in his his early job. In the first sermon, we talked about chisel. We talked about how Jesus Christ chisels away in our lives by removing the things that are not helping us. And in this sermon, it's called the measure. And throughout history, all carpenters have used different measuring tools to help us understand the length of what needs to be compared to the length of of what should be. And so today we're gonna talk about that main concept by asking the question, not do you measure up, But to what are you measuring yourself? Let's pray. Father, 
Today's sermon is going to be so good because it comes from your teaching. But even though it's going to be so good, it's going to be, it can be hurtful. Because what you deal with in this passage is very personal and pointed. It it hit me hard as I've studied it. And as I tell a story, even in my youth, how this passage and others pointed out my pride and arrogance. I pray, Father, that you would do the same thing for my friends in the room. You would point out our pride and arrogance so that we can maintain humility, so that we can become the masterpiece that you're carving us into. God, help me because I cannot help my friends without you. Help me explain this passage and apply it to their lives and mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Luke chapter 18 and verse nine it says, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. If you'll notice in Luke chapter 18, it's story after story that Jesus is telling. And in verse one it says, here's a story from Jesus so that the people could learn to always pray and never give up. That was last week's story, and then he told the story. This week it opens up very similarly. Jesus told a story, and he told it to a specific group of people. Look at the people that Jesus tells the story to. They had great confidence. How many of you believe you should have confidence, amen? Don't you believe young men and young women should have confidence, amen? We should have confidence. But notice this, they had great confidence in their own righteousness. It's called pride. It's wonderful to be confident, but confident in God and confident in the people around us. But this person had, these people had confidence in their own righteousness and they despised or scorned everyone else. This story, Jesus says, is a story for arrogant people. Now, If your first thought is good, I I need to share this with somebody I know who's an arrogant person. (laughs) Then mark it down, this sermon is for you. Can I get an amen? (laughs) If you're like, ah, there's a lot of prideful people I know who need this, I'm gonna share this on social media immediately because everybody that follows me, boy, they are sure prideful and arrogant. Woo! I'm gonna send this to my dad. I'm gonna send this to my friend. I'm gonna send this to my son. If you feel like this sermon (laughs) about pride is for somebody else, guess what? This sermon is is God's gift uh, to you and to me. Now, let me be honest. Uh, Some of you, honestly, genuinely, you don't need this sermon as much as you need another. And this is true. This is why Jesus told some stories to some and some stories to others. And, And you could be at a point in your life where this sermon is not the sermon you need. What you might be needing is a sermon where you already think of yourself as the lowest of the low. You have been beat down by the world. You've been beat down by your flesh. You've been beat down by the, the, uh, by the devil. And you need somebody to remind you that God loves you and he likes you and he wants to bring you to himself. Amen. Some of you need that sermon and I preach that sermon quite often. That is not this sermon. <laughs> this sermon is for the individual who knows that God likes them and loves them and isn't surprised, not surprised at all. Because, because they clearly uh, uh, deserve all of that 
love. And uh, you say, well, pastor, who needs a sermon like this? We all need a sermon like this, but I got to tell you, some people that are especially like me. You see, uh, I can really fight the sin of pride. Pride is a big sin. Have you noticed in our society today, we actually celebrate pride. Now, I know in your mind that immediately goes to a certain segment of society, but in reality, it seems like our entire society celebrates pride. This is who I am, and this is who I will be, and nobody can tell me different. I am proud of my sin. And so, though that is true in our society as a whole, we as the church love to point at the society and say, look how prideful they are, not like us. And society then points their finger at the church and says, look how prideful they are, not like us. And so now you have a group of people in a society that's split down the middle where everybody likes to point at the other person and point out how wicked they are, but how prideful they are, uh, we are about who we are. And God puts it all away and says, no, all of your pride is sin. It's arrogance. It's wickedness. And again, I probably struggle with pride far more than you do. You say, oh, that's a nice thing to say for a pastor to say. No, no, no. Genuinely, those who knew me early on knew that I was an arrogant little fella. You say, I don't believe it. Let me show you a picture of me. Here I am. This is Josh Tice ready to save the world. <laughs> Just about to graduate from my, uh, my seminary. I was uh, preparing to be a pastor. Um, look, look how good I dress. Do you see how, how nice I look? Do you see the contemplative stare off into the distance? Ask yourself this question, who has a picture of himself taken like this? <laughs> Not only was I good, extremely good looking, but I also was studious. <laughs> now, remind you, this is before iPhones and selfies. How did we set up this photograph? <laughs> At what point did we say, let's put out all of my seminary books and show me contemplatively studying the Bible? This is me. This is me when I was about 21, 22 years old, ready to save the world. And I came to Las Vegas, and we worked at a church for a few years, and after that, we were ready to start our own church because I didn't need a pastor telling me what to do. I'm the pastor. And so we started our own church, uh, my wife and I, and, and two things can be true at the same time. Two things. I don't want to paint myself as somebody who wasn't walking with God. Two things can be true at the same time. I totally, 100% loved Jesus and wanted to serve God. I also, truthfully, was an arrogant little jerk. I was. Both things were true. And for God to truly use me, he had to sand me down. He had to change me. And he did so one day by, I was at the gym, and I had a man approach me at the gym, and he came up and he said, excuse me. And I said, yes. And he said, are you the new pastor of the new church plant on La Costa Canyon Court? I said, yes, I am. I said, would you like to come and hear from the Bible? And he said, no, 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 I'm actually also a pastor in town. And as soon as he said he was a pastor, I immediately, all of my defenses went up. Really? He said, yeah, I, I know you're new to the community. I wanted to know, would you like to go to coffee with myself and a few other community pastors? We get together once a month at Starbucks and we pray for each other and for our churches. And immediately I thought to myself, yes, what an incredible opportunity 
because of all these other pastors in the community, I have an opportunity to demonstrate what a true pastor is supposed to be. This is God's opportunity for them to learn. <laughs> I, I know some of you are like, that's funny. Those who know me, that's exactly how I thought. Is that true, Derek? That's exactly what I thought. And I'm like, absolutely, I'll come. Where are we meeting? At Starbucks at this location at this time. And I remember thinking, Starbucks, that's liberal. But whatever, you know. <laughs> like some of you have whenever I've invited you. So we did. So I remember showing up, and I remember getting up that day. Now, back in the day, um, I genuinely, I, I thought to myself, okay, I've noticed how pastors like to dress when they preach. They don't wear suits and ties anymore, and they don't use the King James Bible anymore, and they don't, um, they don't act with the serious decorum like you should. And I can remember thinking to myself, when I go into that Starbucks, I'm going to wear my suit and tie. I wore it every day of the week, except for Monday. All, Tuesday through Sunday, I wore my suit in the community. When I went to Albertsons, I wore my suit and tie <laughs> because I was a community leader. I was a pastor and I was better than you. <laughs> now, let me be very clear about this. Some people like to dress up because they just like to dress up. That's awesome. Some people like to dress up because they like to make people look, they, they think of themselves as better. I was in the latter category, for sure. And I remember I got to that Starbucks meeting, I walked in, I opened it up, and I remember, well, before I got in, I remember getting in my car, I was dressed in my three-piece suit, had my King James Bible, and I prayed, this is 100% true, Emmanuel, I prayed, God, give me a chance to demonstrate to these pastors what a true Christian actually is. And if I have the opportunity, let me save them so they don't go to hell. Because in my mind, I genuinely questioned whether or not they really knew Jesus. You see, pastor, that part of the story is not so funny. But it's what I honestly thought. Why? Because I really did love Jesus, but I also really, really loved myself. This type of passage is written to people like me. Jesus told a story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. You know, I've noticed about pride that pride completely blinds you to reality. It makes you delusional living in a fabricated reality where you are the hero better than everybody else. And when everybody finally gets to the place of understanding and enlightenment like you've gotten to, then the world would be a better place if everybody was like you. But God loves you. And God does not want you to live in this fantasy world of pride and self-righteousness. So, to change you, he measures you. And instead of allowing you to pick the standard by which you are measured, he picks the standard for you. All of that is set up to say this point, to craft you, to mold you, to make you, to chip away and sand you, to craft you and create you. Jesus points out the reality of your size 
and strength. Again, look at verse 9. Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Here's the question. Are you ready for the carpenter to measure you? Are you ready to become his masterpiece? How is it that Jesus the carpenter will sand away your pride and arrogance? How does it happen in your life like it happened in my life? Well, the way I've noticed him doing so in my life and in the passage is that Jesus will sand away your pride and arrogance by, number one, by pointing out the source of pride and by pointing out the root of humility. That's the sermon. This is how pride and arrogance get sanded away. He points out the source of pride, and then he points out the root of humility. If you're ready to learn these two truths, give me an amen. Let's talk about the source of pride. The source of pride, very simply stated, is flattering comparisons. I'm not saying get rid of your pride. What I am saying is ask yourself to whom are you comparing yourself? Because where pride comes in is you're comparing yourself in a flattering way. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 12. What did Jesus do? He's telling a story about two individuals. He's going to tell a story for arrogant people. He says in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. How many men went to pray? How many men went to pray? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. When I say Pharisee, you say boo, Pharisee, tax collector. Yeah, both, right? The Pharisee, for those who don't know Bible background, the Pharisee was a religious leader in the community, and they were extremely holy. I mean, they were holy, and they knew it, and they let everybody else know how holy they were. They had incredibly rigid standards of righteousness, and they looked down upon everyone else. Yet inside, Jesus says, they were like dead men's bones. On the outside, a whited sepulcher, but inside they were filthy and rotten. So two men went up to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The tax collector was just a guy who wanted to earn a living. Say, it doesn't sound so bad. So the way he earned a living is he would turn in his neighbors and friends and family to the government to get money from them and the government. So you have a tax collector who is hated because of their outward wicked sin, and you've got a Pharisee who is often privately hated because of their arrogance. And Jesus says, both of them go up to pray. Now, let me ask you a question. These two men couldn't seem to be so different from one another, but notice they have something in common. Do you see it in the first verse there, verse 10? What is it that these two men have in common? If you found it, I want you to shout it out. What is it that these two men have in common? pray. They both go up to pray. Hey, that's a good start. Can I get an amen? No matter how bad off you are, it's a good thing. And by the way, you might say, well, not everybody prays. Oh, my dear friend, I have a secret for you. Everybody does pray. Even if you say, I don't believe in God, I never believed in God. We know in the deepest, darkest moments of your life, you call out to the God who made you just like the rest of us. You cry to him, you ask him, and you pray. And I am not mocking you. I'm celebrating the fact that you're going to your God. Go to him. 
Both these men go up to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. They went to the temple to pray, and this is what the Pharisee prayed. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Now, we understand not from this passage, but from another story of Jesus, that the Pharisees like to pray, they like to pray publicly. They like to pray out loud. And when they prayed publicly, they like to stand in the place, in the marketplace, or in the synagogue, or in the temple, in a place that could echo their voice as big as it possibly could. They didn't like to go privately and pray. They liked to pray where everybody could see them and hear their prayer. So imagine he's standing in the temple and he's ready to pray. And as he prays publicly and out loud, this is his prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Now, stop. If your prayer begins by thanking God that you're better than other people, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Dear God, do you see these people? You ever scroll through social media and you're like, dear God, I thank you I'm not like them. That is not the heart of Christ. That's the heart of the Pharisee. I thank you that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. Here this man is, and he's praying out loud. Now imagine you're like, just like at church that day, and you're like, oh, geez, this guy again. And he gets up, and he's praying. He's like, dear God, I thank you that I'm, and as he's praying, we're about to find out that the tax collector is in the corner, and he's praying. And so he's praying, dear God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Cheaters, well, tax collectors cheated people for their living. Sinners, well, of course they were a sinner. Adulterers, what they often spent their money on was sexually explicit things. I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. And listen to the rest of his prayer. How arrogant. I am certainly not like that tax collector. He calls him out. Publicly, in the prayer, dear God, I want to thank you. I'm not like him. Wow. And then he begins to list off all of his accomplishments. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Can I just stop and say that if you have to constantly list off your accomplishments to God, yourself, or others, you might have a problem. an arrogant, prideful issue. By the way, is it good to fast? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Is it good to give a tithe? Sure, it's in the Bible. But what is this man doing? He's measuring himself, and he feels pretty good. Hey, I began the sermon by asking for two volunteers. All right, I'm going to have those two volunteers come to the platform at this time. Give them a round of applause. Both of our volunteers are on their way to the platform at this time. Fantastic, great, good, awesome, wonderful. All right, very good. Yeah, there we go. Hey, can we go ahead and use the blue mic here? Can we get that on? Thanks, guys. All right, come on over, come on over. I want you to begin by introducing yourself. Come on over, here we go. Oh, you are a tall drink of water, as they say. Stand back over here. Not so close. All right. Hey, buddy. Good to see you, buddy. Stand over here. All right. Yeah, stand right. Yeah. Yeah, please stand up. All right. Have a, stand right over here. Stand right over here. All right, very good. I've been pasteurized. 
<laughs> I knew this was the right decision. He just said he's been pasteurized. No, you're not, not for that. That wasn't good. You don't even have a mic yet. Hold on. This is going to be fun. Okay, introduce yourself. My name is Frank. I'm from Las Vegas. There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> and how tall are you? Six four, six five. Six four, six five. Somewhere in between. Uh, not very good. Introduce yourself. Wait, it takes two hands to do. Whatever you got to. I'm Doc. I'm from Cali, but now I'm a Nevadian. So. California, ladies and gentlemen, give them a round of applause. No, no, boo. Not, not to mention. But you converted to Nevada. Calabasas, California. What's Calabasas? Oh my God! The I, Kardashians live there. Oh, do they? Yeah. I didn't even know. Will Smith. Your I'm next door neighbor, Will Smith. I'm not gonna brag. Yeah, well, good. It's a sermon about pride. Yeah, there you go. So I'm not pride. <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, head to God. Head to I'm God. Short but not stupid. <laughs> As I wrote this sermon, I literally thought to myself, I sure hope Doc volunteers. I really do. <laughs> It'd be so fun. Doc. Um, Not Doc. Doc. I said Doc. Oh, I said Doc. Give me the mic. My word. All right. Okay. Now. Now. I want to just obviously say how much I love standing beside Doc. I look up to him. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things. Every Sunday, he'll come up, he'll give me a hug, we'll high-five, and say, okay, would you, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not time. I swear to you. Frank over here, my goodness. Don't you get enough attention? I mean, seriously, what's it like up there? Do you have better air? Yeah, it's two degrees cooler. I hate that, man. I can't trust tall people. As much as I like standing beside Doc, that's very good. This is not nearly as fun. I feel like a child about to be taken on a Disneyland ride with his dad. Give him a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. You say, what's the issue, Pastor? The, past, the, the, the issue is this. Your pride and arrogance might be directly related to the individual you're comparing yourself to. The reason why you struggle with pride is because when you look around the world, you're like, I'm pretty good compared to them. I mean, look at what I've done. Look at what they've done. And so as you compare yourself and measure yourself to the wrong individual, your pride, the source of pride is this flattering comparison that you allow yourself to indulge. When in reality, who you should be comparing yourself to is not the lowest, but the highest. Who you should be comparing yourself is not the sinner, but the savior. When a Christian gets to a place where they start lining themselves up and comparing themselves to God, their entire world changes. Notice what happens in the second point. In the first point, how does God sand away 
this arrogance and pride? Well, he points out to us the source of our pride is flattering comparisons. Then he says, the second thing he points out is the root of humility. And the root of humility is seeing God. Look at what happens here to the tax collector, verse 13. Of course, the Pharisee prayed, I'm so glad I'm not like one of these people. And then the, Pharisee, the tax collector prayed, and it says, the tax collector stood at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes toward heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat on his chest. And in sorrow, he said, oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. When was the last time that you got on your knees before God and you could not even look up into heaven? When was the last time out of a great sense of who he is and a great awareness of who you are that you only could cry out, holy, holy, holy is God and I am a sinner who needs mercy and forgiveness. The source of your pride might be flattering comparisons and the root of future humility might be seeing God in your life. I'm not saying get humble today. I'm saying spend time with God and you will be humbled. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who have exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Don't you understand what I want for you? What I want for you is for your prayers to be answered. And the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Could it be possible that you've been seeking God and you've been praying for this and you've been praying and you feel like, I just feel like my, my prayers just don't go before God. They might not. Because if you're filled with arrogance and pride, God is actively resisting you. But if you humble yourself, by seeing who God is and who you are and you bow before him in prayer, God gives grace to the humble. You see, when somebody stands before God and says, I'll do what I want, you get nothing. But when you get on your knees before God and say, I want to do what you want, he lifts you up and gives you what you need. Arrogance, pride versus humility and answered prayer. See, he clearly, this man, what was the difference? Here's what I believe happened. I believe this tax collector clearly had an interaction with God. Off screen, it's not told in the story. How did he get so humble? It was probably the same way that um, Isaiah felt when Isaiah stood before God. The prophet Isaiah was a good man, but then he stood before God, and Isaiah got on his knees and said, woe is me, I am a man that is unclean with unclean lips. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter one, Ezekiel the prophet stands before God and the first thing that happens is he falls on his face and he says, you're holy, I'm not. All of Israel did this when they arrived at Mount Sinai and the voice of God came out. When they saw God, they bowed before him. 
The same thing happens in the book of Revelation when the apostle John finally sees God in his glory in the throne room. He falls on his face and says, you are God, I am not. This is how humility is obtained. Not by trying harder, but by seeing God. And once you've seen God, once you've seen God, this is what happens. You'll despise no one. You, you remember how the story begins? Jesus was gonna tell a story to those, oh, hey, thank, does it sound like I need water? Give this man a round of applause up here helping out. Wow, thank you. Do you remember how the story begins in verse nine? Jesus was gonna tell a story to those who had confidence in themselves and despised everybody else. Do you know what happens when you see God? You see God for who he is, you see you for who you are. You don't have time to despise everybody else. You know what else happens? you'll start valuing mercy more than accomplishment. Instead of you constantly saying about how great you are, you'll just be like, man, I'm sure God, God, glad God's been merciful to me. I'm sure glad God's been good to me. And when you see God, you'll start to be crafted into his masterpiece. He's chipping away. He's cutting you down. He's sanding you and making you into what God wanted you to be. So I arrived at the coffee shop in my suit and tie, white pressed shirt, beautifully dimpled tie, perfect. The whole time I'm thinking, God, help me to be an example to these men who might not know you, pastors of other churches. I opened up the door with my briefcase because at that point I thought pastors should wear, use briefcases like attorneys. I walked inside. Sat down with those pastors. Now, I got to tell you, if you're a funny person, I'm sure if you're one of those pastors, you could think of a thousand different jokes to give at that moment. And for me telling the story, putting in a joke right now would be a perfect moment. But they didn't joke with me. They just said, hey, Josh, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for spending time with us and honoring us with your presence. I'll never forget. And it hit me. It struck me. We sat down and we read a Bible verse. They opened, you know, their Bibles. This is before everybody had Bibles on the app, you know. And I opened mine, my big King James. And I interrupted. I said, could we read out of the King James, do you mind? Because I wanted them to know what a real Bible was. When we spent time in prayer, I can remember specifically looking around and thinking about what they were actually wearing. I remember looking around thinking, I cannot believe a pastor in the community is wearing a t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> While they were talking to God about my problems, I was thinking about what they were wearing on the outside. If you come from very pharisaical background, it's really hard for you to stop thinking about what everybody else is doing. I remember even as they prayed, I remember thinking, you hear they pray, God? Do you hear that? I mean, it's just so emotive and so much emotion and like, like who are they trying to impress here? I'm literally judging their prayers. And I left burdened, 
God, help me to save these men. And I genuinely thought if I could save one of the men, I could actually save an entire church. I mean, that's a big catch for Jesus. You think I'm joking? That's exactly what I thought. And it took about six months of patience and kindness and grace on their behalf that I was in my own personal devotion spending time with Jesus because I did love Jesus even though I was an arrogant jerk. And I was reading the Gospels. I'm not sure if it was Luke 18, but somewhere in the Gospels. And for the very first time, the God of the Holy Spirit said to me this. He said, you are not one of the disciples. You're one of the Pharisees. It was as clear in my soul as anything I'd ever heard. And for years, I'd always read the Gospels thinking, look at how I'm one of the disciples. And God was like, nope, you're a Pharisee. And it broke my heart, and I began to cry, and I began to call out to God, and I began to allow God to humble me because for the first time, I had seen God for who He was, and I began to see me for who I really was. Does this make sense? That was so helpful for my life. And maybe this sermon is one of those moments in your life to help you see God and bring about a sense of genuine humility by asking, if I'm so great, to whom am I measuring myself against? Thank you for watching the Southern Hills YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon to be notified every time we make a new video. And remember, we exist to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Have a great week. Peace.